kids, it's the Occult Mystery Podcast, where we talk about the mysteries hidden behind Mickey. Welcome to the Occult Disney Podcast, where we go looking for the magic hidden inside ducks today, because it's DuckTales Treasure of the Lost Lamp, which I'm, I'm double checking the title. Yes, I said it correctly. Okay. It's one of those titles where if you think about it, it doesn't really make sense. I guess the genie is the treasure is what they're getting at. I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean? It makes sense. Yeah, okay. I, I'm just I'm thinking of um. Do you ever watch the uh, Mister Show? Uh, yeah, of course, man. That, that's, I, I, that was, I think that might have been peak David Cross. Oh yeah. So I was just trying to tie that in with the um Revenge of the Curse of the Mummy's Ghost. You know, where the entire sketch is I'm trying to figure out what the title means. I was I was hoping for that, but yeah, you're right. I guess it it does make a little bit of sense. You can't not be Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> Scrooge is always our treasure. Uh, where were you on the DuckTales continuum? I honestly think, I, I don't remember watching the show that much. I think Child Matt was annoyed that Donald wasn't in it much. I was like, oh, you're giving me the B team. That's no good. <laughs> I loved it, man. I think DuckTales was one of the biggest earworms of my life. Oh, the and song, on top of that, for sure. The Nintendo game, too, man. The Nintendo game was like the one that almost everyone I knew had. So that was always the one in there. Okay, I'm I pretty did, sure I did play the game an awful lot. Yes, you are correct. The game is fantastic. The show and, is and good. I'm, I was just like, as a kid, just like, where's Donald? And that bothered me. <laughs> well, also before Sega um, licensed Sonic, I think the the first included game in Sega was like a Donald Duck game. It was a Ducktales game of some kind. So I think that that was another game that was just like, oh, there's another really good Ducktales game. Yeah, I. I well, I ran out of time, but I did actually briefly consider. I was like, "Wait a minute! I think I have an emulator somewhere on my computer where I could play it." But then, oh, then I got. I sleepy. wish I could keep it up. I love. <laughs> I love the mask. I just need to figure out a better, long term way of wearing it and seeing through it. So, on top of that, too, though, like Darkwing Duck, I love. I really did like Darkwing, although I was starting to get a little bit older, where I had other things and interests developing, uh, as opposed to to watching cartoons. But I loved Darkwing Duck. And then there were just so many other like ancillary DuckTales stuff. So I even loved the the remake of the DuckTales game. I don't know if you, I mean, it was like 10 years ago now. But you I ever play that, that one? Do you know what I'm talking I, about? I, I Actually, I don't. But I, I have heard that the 2017 reboot of the show seems to have relatively good reviews. But again, have not seen it. So It's not bad. It's not horrible. It's not, it's not the same as the original. But if you liked that original NES game... I really I can't recommend enough the remake of it. I, I want to say it was like 2010 or 2012 or something like that. But it's like the soundtrack too. It's all, like everything is just made like HD. I think it's on every console at this point. You can find it. Things just called Ducktales Remastered. Okay, yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah, promo think... code Paranoid Fifteen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be awesome, right? That would be like I've made it. <laughs> 
I'm um thinking that around 1990, yeah, all these shows I like. Ducktales. I was more familiar with the video game. You mentioned Darkwing Duck, and I was like, "Oh, I read the comic books, but I don't think I saw much of the show." So I came out like weird angles on all this stuff uh, back in the day. They'll get you somehow, man. And and I liked it too because Ducktales, even though it was Disney, it was its completely own thing. Like it, it exists in like a Disney adjacent universe. It was almost like a Lobo universe, uh, maybe not as extreme. Yeah, yeah, it was just some weird thing as a kid where I was like, uh, you know, I go to the video store and oh my god, I can rent an entire VHS tape of like just Mickey Mouse cartoons, which aren't, you know, well, the early ones are fine, but they're not the most entertaining, are they? DuckTales is certainly more entertaining than, say, 1940s Mickey Mouse cartoons. But, uh, yeah, little kid that was talking about, (laughs) give me the A team, give me the A team, including the TV show, the A team, which I also enjoyed. So, You know, I, I love the concept of A Team, but I don't know if I've ever earnestly watched it and not just when I was like a little kid and I was just excited because Mr. T was in it. But I don't think I've ever watched it while I also knew it was happening. Yeah, I'm pretty much on that same page. I mean, I watched that movie they put out, uh, but that wasn't like that great. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this one is 1990. It was supposed to be like the start of like a DuckTales theatrical series, but it earned 18.1 million on a 20 million budget so that did not happen this is definitely like a, a, a i guess uh, commercially it was a bit of a squib of a movie i guess it, it really is one of those like well you can just watch it at home you know sort of things <laughs> it's it's kind of funny too like would scrooge mcduck have made a sequel i don't know if he would have no he would have asked for too much you know he would have asked for um points or something uh for the next one <laughs> the hope diamond yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You, you pay me with the hope diamond that's how it works uh this is the first disney movie that was released theatrically but not made by you know what disney feature animation this these are the the tv folk doing it which i um i feel like I, again i haven't watched the show recently but i feel like it basically looks exactly like the tv show <laughs> It does look like the TV show, and it was it was a bigger deal, too, to the people that worked on it. I just saw the light production notes, but they saw it as, like, their Snow White. So even though we might just be like, oh, it's a, you know, it's like a movie-length DuckTales episode, the people working on it really did feel like it was a, a huge monumental thing. And it kind of is. It was, like, the first theatrical DuckTales movie. Yeah, yeah, which they saw as a series. And I think this was also planned just to be a, like, you know, four-episode TV show thing uh, and compiled into a movie. And I will say this works much better than when they did that with uh, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, uh, the theatrical releases. Terrible. <laughs> the TV show I was already out bad. of it. I mean, I, I was never a fan of Star Wars to begin with. Uh, so like by the time Clone Wars came out, I was over the entire franchise. Yeah, it was kind of like they took the first four episodes of that show where they hadn't really worked it out yet and just threw it on the big screen. So it's like really like incoherent. And uh, then late the TV show. I mean, if you if obviously if you're out on Star Wars, it's not going to do much for you. But uh, the show itself wasn't too bad. I, I never finished it though, so I guess that's a bit of a backhanded compliment. <laughs> Ducktales is also one of those those shows that like everyone's seen a little bit of it i don't know if if you even have to watch them all in order but it's it's like such an expansive thing that it was on the background at some point i don't care what age you were like you've probably seen clips of ducktail you know it's it's ubiquitous just like many disney things are 
Yeah, I'm not saying I did not see a lot of DuckTales. I just didn't sit mm. down in front, intentionally in front of the TV and watch it a lot. But yeah, it was certainly well, That's gone. even more dangerous because that it means is. that only your subconscious has watched it and not your conscience. That did, that didn't, uh, that explains my insatiable greed for gold now, I guess. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, see, so Darkwing Duck, by that point, I probably didn't have the TV on so much in the afternoon. I, you know, by then I was junior high and probably had something to do. But yeah, this one would have been the tail end of elementary school and certainly was on and, and I wasn't watching it too directly. Uh, the one kind of B team that I was down with was was the Muppet Babies for some reason. I don't know why, but <laughs> I, I guess another I, earworm. Uh, no, yes, for sure. Uh, also, I, I, I guess I'm still a pretty big henson fan a man who may have been killed by uh trying to make a deal with disney <laughs> i mean not like they often just like the stress like killed him or whatever or the buyout i'll say it. yeah no i think i think disney murdered jim henson you know he did have like a bizarre infection that he died with right because the, the story it might is be just like, like one of those bob marley cases right did bob yeah. marley really die of have, the big c but that's that's where it was at the ca's son like gave him a pair of boots or something <laughs> yeah because it developed in his toe and then it spread from there apparently and they blamed it on like him kicking a soccer ball or it it gets weird man like when once you go down those little rabbit holes it gets very weird but yeah yeah because um what was the what was the hints and not i mean obviously we're not doing the muppets today although i eventually get to probably get to do some muppets but uh yeah it was just a weird time he was like on our senior hall had hey guys i feel a little sick and uh it, it it really broke down over a weekend because some people were like, oh, he was a Christian scientist, so he didn't see a doctor, which he probably would have if it wasn't the weekend, right? So, so yes, yeah, I was just reading a biography about him. It was just like a bizarre series of events. So uh, the book I itself. I didn't know that he was a Christian scientist. Yeah, he grew up. I mean, his family was, right? So, but not like, I mean, they weren't like if you're on death door or something, they weren't against going to a doctor you know yeah so. if you wait until you're on his door though yeah, like yeah all he's so, got to do is open it <laughs> the point being 50 whatever it was year old jim henson wasn't like he was gonna see a doctor if it wasn't the weekend you know so it was more like oh i'll just wait till monday but then monday was too late so uh but the ducktales where i don't think the creators are, are dead i don't know ducktales by jim magon is an american television film writer i guess he's still kicking so <laughs> um and i think this is so ducktales 2 in a general sense is way more approachable than donald duck because first of all donald duck's got the voice which i'm sure they explain it in one of the episodes but i don't remember any of it but it's almost like he's a an actual duck and then everyone in duckburg of ducktales is more human like there's very little duck about them except for their appearance well, he's uh, got a speech impediment or something, maybe, is the case. Although, uh, Huey, Dewey, and Louie are halfway there. I don't know if you glanced at my notes, but I kept uh, copy and pasting, like, what are they saying? So, <laughs> you can't understand. I don't know, man. I've I've got a weird ability to, to hear through, uh, like, very thick accents, even ones that I might not have heard before. I can usually get the gist of it, even if I can't remember what they said about 10 seconds later. But I can understand it in the moment. Honestly, it's not that bad. It was more just uh, me being cheeky by writing that. But that is when I tried to turn on the subtitles and discovered I did not have subtitles. So uh, it was due to Huey, Dewey, and Louie that I, I discovered that. <laughs> uh, and the girl. I can't I can't remember 
her name off the top of my head. Man, I can't either. Uh, I, I in fact, the whole movie is like, oh, that's who. Um, think one. Great thief, accompanied by Daisy. I want to say Daisy. That sounds rightish. Um, oh my God, I just went on Webby Vanderquack and it gave it shows me like fifty ducks. That's unhelpful. <laughs> uh, Jean Duckburg, genie, and also to... another earworm, but like something. I don't know if it's generational, but there was like this dirty Donald Duck getting a pleasured audio track that got that was like passed around and then it made its way onto the internet but it was like the funniest thing ever at the age that i heard it and i just remember that cementing donald duck as you know like a i guess as a man <laughs> it's like a it's like a true man yeah it's like did you hear this thing about uh hello kitty a few years ago where sanra was trying to explain what um kitty is right because right, she not... there's actual cats in that world Right, so like Kitty is not a cat. Kitty is a British schoolgirl who looks like a cat. You're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, yeah, yeah okay, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Webby Vanderquack is the duck girl, by the way. I, I I just wondered for a second if that was the maid with a uh, Rusty Taylor voicing her and Huey, Dewey, and Louie does the voice for all of them. So, uh, just as a fun fact, I guess Webby. Vanderquack. Oh, no, that's, no, nothing that's the new one, about though, that right? Name. Or oh no, I guess that's the old no, that, one too. That's the old one. That's the old one. Okay. So maybe they redesigned her for the new one. I again, I didn't see the new one. So what a horrible one. name. I mean, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. You know, Alvin, Simon, Theodore. Like I don't know. Like the, and then they throw in and Webby Vanderquack. Like, yeah. I don't know. It doesn't. Why is her to... one name longer than Huey, Dewey, and Louie's name and less fun to say? I guess they usually just say Webby. I mean, you know. Unless you're going for the 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 dark undercurrent, you don't have to say Vanderquack, right? Um, I mean, Julie, Susie, like anything with the ooey would have been a better choice. I don't know. Where <laughs> I did hindsight, I don't know, man. I, there was a point in this movie. There's also Launchpad McQuack, whom about halfway through the movie, I was like, "Have we seen him since the first five minutes?" And then he shows up again and has like nothing to do. So they were definitely having trouble with him on this movie. Um, I mean, I, I guess he's just there as comic relief anyway. But <laughs> Comic relief, but he also is their way to travel easily. Like, And then with him not being around, it just, it like in the story-wise, it's like, well, now they can't travel or like leave or have air support. Because it, it really is like a writer's uh, cheat code and just be like oh and then a guy with a huge cargo plane flies in you know what i mean like it would be nice if you just had a friend that could just fly into the moment and stuff it's it's similar to to where like scrooge mcduck um can go on these adventures because he's rich or, like cop shows there's so many cop shows and it's because they have access to so many places that for a writer it just opens so many more doors so it's just, I don't know, I, I think writing for like a rich person, it's uh, it'd be easy because like they've got so many resources, right? Well, the most fun is the, uh, what's it, the TV show, Hulk Hogan's uh, Thunder in Paradise, where all the exotic locations are like various points around the Walt Disney World Lagoon because Hulk didn't want to go nowhere. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Go to Epcot, do a, do a little like a travel around the world. We're in Japan now. Wait, uh, okay. <laughs> So uh, I, I don't I, I think they mostly used the larger lagoon near Magic Kingdom. But hey, maybe they used they had to use some Epcot locations. I don't know. I have to go watch some Thunder in Paradise and watch the Hawkster, you know, 
do some action, I guess. He's got some great movie. I wish I could remember the name of all of them. I I know Mr. Nanny, but that's not one of the better ones. But there's the one where he fights Tiny, like the the huge um like this huge wrestler. It's like a just like a nonstop wrestling movie. And then there was another one too that I want to say had like Rick Moranis or something. He came from like the the uh, future or he came from outer space. And he had like a little silver superhero costume. Anyways, I mean, I, I grew up in a very specific time. So the, the Hulk Hogan movies were right up my alley. I'm scrolling down on his wiki, but it just keeps talking about his wrestling career. <laughs> Come on, get over it. I got a lot of friends that are very deep into wrestling. I, I've never fully, uh, kind of half there. Oh, God, Three Ninjas. I knew Mega Mountain. He's in that. Okay, that's cool. Uh, yeah, Thunder in Paradise, Star of the Ultimate Weapon, uh, No Holds Barred, Suburban Commando. Maybe that's what you're getting at. Suburban Commando is the one, and No Holds Barred is maybe one of my favorite ones. And it's really just a dramatized wrestling movie. But yeah, they, yeah, but... I mean, you know, like wrestling is real in that movie too, though. Yeah, because he's in Rocky Three. I guess that he's boxing, but yeah, <laughs> it's not, not obviously not the biggest part in Rocky Three, but he's there. Uh, Santa with muscles. That, I've never even heard of that. That sounds quite insane. Okay. Is it was that the sex tape? <laughs> <laughs> Santa with muscles. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, God, the, he's he is like the box art is bizarre. He's holding up two guys with a uh, Santa vest and no shirt underneath. So, I guess how did we get the right. Hulk Hogan from Ducktales? I'm not complaining, but <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that. Oh, because I started talking about Thunder and Paradise for some reason. Uh, travel, yeah, there I reversed engineered the tangent. Okay, that's cool. But um, yeah, this is a globe trotting show, I suppose. Uh, I don't Pillaging. know. Th- Pillaging more than trotting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess this is the nicer version. I think we've talked a, bit, a little bit about the uh, Tokyo Tower of Terror plot before have we discussed that because of course it's twilight zone in america yeah but but removed from any of the actual rod serling stuff right 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 whereas the tokyo one has nothing to do with the twilight zone it is um a guy who uh something high tower or something and he's he's gone around the world with his manservant you know pillaging uh sacred items from uh indigenous people so when you go in the, the the cast members are like acting like it's a preservation house for this guy and they're very serious and like you know very deferent about how great this guy was but in the garden outside it's a bunch of really busty marble statues and stuff and you go in and it's paintings of him and his manservant like running from the tribes like you know with their loot or whatever and the whole point of the ride is one of the he steals a tiki from a tribe and it's uh, cursed and you know murders him by throwing him down an elevator shaft so <laughs> that's kind of ducktales except uh scrooge doesn't die well maybe he dies in the final one when he finally steals the tiki i don't know <laughs> uh scrooge doesn't but in the movie the bad guy dies i mean if you look in the, the well i mean in the the few summaries that i read on this after i watched it they explicitly say that murloc is thrown to his death so that's also pretty <laughs> pretty bold for a disney property the first theatrical but, ducktales it's not like they show it you know it's not like mortal Kombat, and he goes into the pit onto the spikes or anything uh but he does get flung at a very you know lethal altitude and unfortunately these kind of ducks don't fly yeah yeah or Although maybe... he's not really a duck anyway he's like a anything he wants to be although i guess in that moment he decided not to turn into a bird and fly away 
Well, he's so. reverted to his base form, I assumed, was was the situation, right? So his base form Well, I thought he kept fight. reverting himself using his like magic talisman. So at any point he could have changed into something else, but uh once he lost that, then yeah, he gets thrown to his death. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, violent ending for old. The, the bad guy dies man. in DuckTales movie. He dies. It's probably, I mean, Christopher Lloyd is like, do I die at the end? You know, something like that. Like, don't <laughs> it was in me. the contract. It's in the contract, yeah. Like, why does he, this guy is so adamant about something dying in this movie? And, of course, the reason why the genie in here is so weirdly, slightly annoying is that that's Rip Taylor. And that's like Rip Taylor's trade, right? So, <laughs> Just Although me. without the mustache, I, I guess that explains the eyebrows, though. That does explain the eyebrows. It, it did feel like kind of like a weird dry run for a bit of Aladdin stuff, I guess. And it's weird that this movie came out like two or three years before Aladdin. So, yeah, I feel like someone was already developed. I mean, was this foreshadowing? Was this like Aladdin's already on the table it and must they're have trying been. to like show off? Or, yeah, it's it's interesting. And I feel like it's beyond coincidence at this point because. It's, you know, at this point, like we mentioned with um, Little Mermaid, Disney's kind of perfected the formula. So they don't necessarily experiment as much. I mean, they can, but they've got the thing down pat. So, you know, you don't want to screw up a thing that you know how it's working. And we've also seen how they can kind of like bake in references to the movies that come later. Or maybe it might be the other way around. It might be that like later animators are paying homage to the earlier films um so it's it's just like this big interconnected disney universe that i don't think coincidence exists in anymore i wonder if there's a little bit of chest thumping this is the television department right so maybe i mean they might know of aladdin they're like hey look we can kind of do it too look at us you know uh, i i mean it wasn't bad it like you said it looked as good as the tv show and this in my opinion is sort of the golden age of animation maybe the, the tail end but like you mean like you know, 1990? Like that's kind of right in the smack center of it. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's the tail end of TV animation because uh, '70s is you know garbage animation. That's like filmation, right? I mean, you, some of those shows are great. It's just the animation itself is pretty awful. And and yeah, late '80s, early '90s, you're getting these like pretty well produced uh, Disney animations and you know just once they start shopping it out TV. of the country <laughs> makes it a lot cheaper yeah um this uh, i think we mentioned in the last episode this is the last time that they physically used cells so this is the end of the road for uh analog animation basically we knew you so well this this is a big milestone isn't it yeah yeah it's it's in, all in, in terms of going through this. all the theatrical disney animation releases this is the last analog hand-drawn release in a big way i mean i'm sure it has a few effects in the actually i'm not sure it has a few effects in the background because it's a tv studio but uh yeah it, it's it's certainly a pretty idealized version of analog animation which is great um geez i'm sitting here wondering if anyone even tries that anymore because yeah, japan's pretty much all digital although they stick to the 2d you know like pencil drawing look more than in the states it's but. such a pain man it is just so i couldn't imagine it because even when you look at something like cuphead again it's video games and they kind of modeled their video game animation based on old hand-drawn you know cartoons but they also did it in a digital medium you know what i mean um so like in this movie in particular this ducktales movie there's a lot of scenes where 
like the entire scenes out of focus or there's like literal pieces of dust I sw- and it doesn't look intentional in some mm-hmm. of them i don't know if you picked up on that um but they'll go into like a cavern in one scene and it's almost like a little bit off center a little bit out of focus a little bit of like stray marks that don't seem to be like illustrated textures and uh like there's some zoom ins too right where like they clearly zoom in a little bit further than maybe the art uh should have allowed it to um so but I, but i mean some of that stuff is kind of endearing right that kind of the, the hallmark looks of that old school animation but those are also the reasons why you know it, it starts to go out because imagine if someone was like oh let's go and change the color of you know that bat that flew by in the background or let's change the background of this scene i mean now you got to go back and like retake all of those pictures all over again um i don't know it's it when digital it's like show or hide the photoshop layer right and then hit render again there's just no way to compete with that i don't think yeah i feel like if you i, I don't think people would if you had the withdrawal where you're like i'm going to go back and do analog animation i feel like you'd probably go stop motion where it makes a lot more sense you know that mm-hmm. that's i think that's the uh sort of the craft house for animators if you really want to but put even that in much stop blood, motion there's lots of line removals for taking away little strings and taking away um you know like little dowels or little green screen effects to like move stuff to make it float and whatnot right right but the you know the actual things you just you can't i mean if they're digital they they just by definition it, i mean i guess you could add like a stutter and stuff but then you might yeah i don't know i i don't know enough about the in and outs of uh actually producing animation because the most i've done was uh you know made two pieces of clay murder each other when i was a kid with a vhs camera right just move it a little bit yeah that thing so <laughs> super high resolution i'm sure oh bye <laughs> I, I i can show you some of that stuff it's that's yeah kind of weird <laughs> Uh, anyway, the, I guess the, the big kahuna for our purposes is you you keep hearing like Scrooge McDuck is, is Illuminati confirmed. So, uh, shall we, shall we confirm him? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. So, so that's a, from a particular, I'm gonna have to, to search it. That's from a very specific episode, um, of DuckTales. I think it was season three. Oh, they spell it out for you at some point, do they? So, oh yeah, I don't know. So I if you haven't heard about this one before, um, I think I've just heard about the basic concept. So maybe I have not. I probably, you know, half saw it when I was like 10 years old and it like sifted into my subconscious because I wasn't paying attention to a show, like you said. <laughs> so the, the episode name is called Yuppie Ducks and it features Scrooge McDuck going to the doctor. Here he goes to what an optometrist specifically. And that actually that actually plays into it a little bit. So he goes to the optometrist. And the first time you see him, there's an eye chart on the back wall and the letters spell out, ask about Illuminati. There's no way that it's like, you don't have to read into this or squint your eyes. It a hundred percent says, ask about Illuminati. And then as the scene progresses, it's there, but it starts to like change and morph a little bit until the last frame no longer says, ask about Illuminati. And it almost looks as if, like there's a couple options, right? One of the options is that this particular background or scene gets passed around to different animators and the other guys weren't in on it or we're just like, I'm not going to play along with that. You know what I mean? 
or they just kind of like intentionally obscured the rest of it. So maybe when they were doing the animation review with the, the project manager, um, you know, like doing the dailies, maybe you just show them the, the parts that didn't have the secret message in it. So they get the approval and then it's too late in the process because again, this is analog animation, right? So the amount of money and time it would cost to go back and be like, Hey, let's fix that background frame right there. It's not trivial. It's a, it's a very non-zero amount. So that's, that's the biggest one, but there's also other episodes. I don't, I don't know the exact, I can look those up too, but there's one where he goes into like his boss's office and that guy has like an all seeing eye pyramid. There's like some Masonic um, symbolism in it. So very clearly at the, at the very least, the DuckTales universe has a Bavarian Illuminati and they have arguably Freemasons. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess we never see. He's got feathers, so he has no sort of rings we can uh, check out. That's too bad. But <laughs> have you, um, the, the Disney parks actually have kind of like this weird fictional Illuminati thing, uh, which is, again, tied in with that attraction at Disney Sea. Uh, they have a few attractions and they've tied it in with a few other parks now, which is the, uh, which is C, Society of Explorers and Adventurers. Uh, it's, one of the more bizarre parts of Disney lore these days. Uh, are, are you familiar with this at all? Uh, I don't think so, man. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. So it, it was originally... Oh, it based... originates in Tokyo Disney. It, But it's gone to other places. Uh, I think the in the, its later years, the Adventurers Club was considered part of C. Uh, you'll find these random, like, hidden plaques and things. Like, there's a... They've created all these like um, in, you know, imperialist, industrialist characters like that were in it from like around the turn of the century. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Barnabas T. Bullion. Yeah, the, the names are family. Yeah. <laughs> Mystic Manor at uh, is it? I guess it's Hong Kong or, or Shanghai. I don't remember which one. Uh, that the the owner of Mystic Mansion is one of the C members. So it is weird that in the past ten years, like Disney has baked like this weird little fake Illuminati into their parks. <laughs> I mean, it, it just sounds like an older version of um, Sea Org, right? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I, I don't think if, you If you have mix, to... you know, Scientology with like old Bavarian Illuminati, you kind of <laughs> get this. This is interesting, man. I, I swear I've never heard of this uh, Society of Explorers and Adventurers. This is, this is kind of cool. Well, that's one of the weird things, because now I think it has some kind of presence in every park, but it's not particularly well known, which makes it like more bizarre. Right. Like, how do you know that Tokyo Tower of Terror owner is the is re- in the same society as this uh, guy in another park? You know, so is it is it all men? No, there are female um, there are female members of C. So but they okay, don't have so as it's many... not just C men. No, it's not just seamen, it's sea women too. That's a, yeah, you can't say that is fun. Okay, Mystic Manor's in Hong Kong Disneyland. Oh, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad has now been that's the bullion guy. He's been retconned into being part of sea. So the Oceaneer interesting. Lab and it... Disney Cruise Line. Misadventure Falls and Typhoon Disney's Typhoon Lagoon, which is the only, I think, female member attraction. It it says here the Explorers Club acted like the Adventurers Club of Florida giving diners an opportunity to dine with famous explorers like David Livingstone and Ermis Hemingway. Um, although the Explorers Club has now closed, its logo can still be found within the restaurant, but they removed the C logo. And the restaurant is 
uh, next to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Peril, I guess. So it, even this, even the C uh, logos are slowly being removed, which is like classic secret society stuff now. Yeah, yeah, because it's not a dead thing, I guess. It says, according to Wiki, two adaptations of the Society of Explorers and Adventures are in development at Disney, a Disney Plus series developed by Ronald D. Moore and a feature film written by Ku. I can't pronounce the name. Sorry, dude. Uh, <laughs> it's Q-U-I. How do you say that? I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> this is pretty nuts, man. I just want to... This is a, a tangent that's well worth it. It says... One of the guys um, has this thing called Horrors of the Amazon within Disney. And the description is that there's a tomb of a witch doctor that shows off a corpse and that the witch doctor returns to life in order to punish another character, followed by that character trying to cannibalize the witch doctor's blood in an attempt to protect himself. This is pretty... uh, pretty badass for disney i think <laughs> yeah, it's a little darker than uh ducktales but it does i mean that's why i thought the tangent made sense because it still has kind of a similar vibe to what scrooge mcduck is oh up to. well yeah absolutely this, this is the classic and if you look at like egyptology it was a lot of british and american dudes that were just like i want to go over to egypt and collect as much stuff as i can and there's still this i i mean even today right how many artifacts and you know ancient items from other people's cultures and countries are in the museums of america and britain and elsewhere i mean it's a fairly contested topic still but i mean it's still been going on like ever i mean we're this is a joke about this society of explorers and adventures it starts in the 1600s but it kind of really did start back then and we kind of still do have the society of explorers and adventurers right like it's just Elon Musk driving a car in outer space now, but it's kind of the same idea where if you've got the money and the resources and the time and the power and the ego, like you can just conquer mountains and, you know, anything. I mean, that's why this I find it so fascinating because they baked it in so much. It's it's kept secret within the parks, right? I mean, you really have to be a, a dork to really uncover that in the first place. So, <laughs> but and, and this is of course is is based on the actual Explorers Club, which is also a very real thing. And they were, I think, it formed in like the early 1900s, and it truly was just a bunch of rich, you know, people that wanted to explore the world and get a bunch of knickknacks. And then over time, they became secret slash prestigious, and then would start giving honorary members. So, for example, I believe they made Buzz Aldrin and almost all the other. Uh, astronauts like honorary members of this explorer society but it's it's a real thing so it's it's not like all of these are just based on uh bs archetypes and even oh man what was the the movie was it mary poppins um or bedknobs and broomstick but they had like a next door neighbor and the guy had like turned his house into a boat um and he just like thought that he was going off on like another adventure to go and like pillage you know goods from some some poor country so i don't know i guess let's put let's put scrooge mcduck on the spectrum of scum and villainy with um zero being being what baby jesus as they say in talladega nights with uh 10 being chernabog you know uh where, where does scrooge mcduck fit on this <laughs> so so first we have to define if the gold and the treasure that scrooge are after is material or if that's all a metaphor for knowledge just like an alchemist 
Um, like, were they actually making gold or were they in search of the philosopher's stone uh, not to make gold, but to, to make like spiritual gold? And it's an appropriate analogy here because they did originally have this movie based on finding the philosopher's stone. And it's almost certain that they would have gone into that if the first one hadn't been, a you know, sort of a, a bomb and lost money in the theaters. But the original the... story was on the Philosopher's Stone. So, I mean, with, with that in mind, man, I don't know, because on one hand, you could, if anyone's going to commercialize and steal and then sell the Philosopher's Stone, I guess Scrooge McDuck would make sense. But I also think that that's just, you know, that's the uh, the exoteric and not the esoteric. Yeah, were they going to have the cojones to call it Philosopher's Stone in America? That would have been impressive because, uh, you know... Harry Potter. I mean, it would have been like, um, you know, national treasure a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, that's kind of, I mean, those movies have a bit of a vibe in a way, you know, if we uh, we just put Nicolas Cage in for Scrooge McDuck. I don't know, though. I I feel like, you know, when a a man or a duck has a giant vault filled with gold coins, he's probably a little bit materially obsessed uh, more than spiritually looking for spiritual knowledge but or unless he's just you know like i have it all i need to go farther which i guess is a, a common thing for people with way too much money <laughs> depends how they express it right <laughs> so so there's another aspect of this too since scrooge mcduck is clearly based on ebenezer scrooge um there's there's a parallel philosophy here like a, a, a conspiracy theory but i think it's beyond that that if you reread that story of Christmas Carol, of course, Ebenezer Scrooge is kind of painted as the bad guy, but he also is the one that's like employing everybody in the town and running the bit. Like he's actually held up as like a capitalist hero in some ways. So if your outlook on the world is more of a socialist communist outlook, then he's a bad guy. But if it's a capitalist outlook, he's kind of a good guy. And that by, pandering to the rest of the the town that he's in would actually have lowered the standards of that town overall i mean he might also have been ushering in the industrial revolution and kind of reflected that but that also was going to come with or without ebenezer scrooge so that the point being made there is that ebenezer scrooge although grumpy and cranky and kind of a dick wasn't necessarily a bad guy so i don't know if Chernobog is the is the full explanation there unless you're like you know Scrooge McDuck is doing this to hurt people and it definitely has no symbolic you know anything if it's just pure greed then yeah I guess it would probably be closer to Chernobog than anything else because it, it would just be the personification of greed yeah I guess there's a lot baked into the name that's probably another thing that sort of kind of turned me off a little bit as a kid like no Donald and oh well Scrooge Scrooge is kind of the villain isn't he so, um, again, I, I'm sitting here thinking I did read a lot of the comic books, like the Gladstone comic books. But, yeah, it, it, it was, it, like we've been saying, it's weird how some of this stuff just kind of needles your way into your childhood. And 30 years later, like, oh, yeah, I was reading Scrooge comic books. OK, well, have, have you ever heard that the Indiana Jones entire series is based on a DuckTales comic book? Well, they say that about Inception, too. Right. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually also accurate. But I mean, there's a very specific issue of DuckTales that shows like an entire sequence, almost frame for frame between that and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it's it's the scene, the memorable scene with the big boulder that's chasing them down. 
that actually comes from a DuckTales comic book. And then in this movie, there's a little Indiana Jones in the background in one of the scenes. Like, he doesn't have, like, a speaking part or anything. It's kind of an Easter egg. Yeah. Well, the first uh, sequence in general is very Indiana, Indiana Jones. Well, yeah. They, I mean, obviously, they were paying big homage to it and all, and, like, the poster. But a lot of people don't realize that it's paying an homage to Indiana Jones, which itself was an homage to DuckTales. So it, it has that Inception feel to it as well. <laughs> um, I'm just looking through my notes here and uh, thinking... I think the feta cheese festival sounds fun. I want to go to that. I like feta cheese. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know, man. Like the type of people that come out of the woodwork to go to a cheese festival, or <laughs> I don't know, it might be a little scary. Yeah, I guess it's better to go to like the Greek festival, right? They, you know, I remember. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit more generic, kid. not something so pinpointed that you find like you know the the top <laughs> feta cheese experts in the world, and they just talk your ear off. About I, I don't know. Actually, that sounds that sounds more interesting the more I talk about it. <laughs> yeah. No, in Japan, they have these weird little micro-focused festivals like that. So I was like, yeah, that sounds perfectly reasonable to me that they, they have that. <laughs> so, you know, they'll have like the Red Bean Festival or something. So <laughs> it's not completely out of the park there. Um, oh, one other thing on the vault. Was I picking up? They were like, the vault will protect us or something. Like, there's some supernatural protection around the vault. Did you pick up on that? or am I uh, Maybe, although I think I just counted it as it's a freaking vault. It's a panic room. Um, but, I mean, I also feel like the vault might be dangerous because if it's a true vault, then it runs out of air, right? Yeah, yeah. But it seemed like they were like, we can get away from the genie's uh what what's it called? Uh, Murdoch was it? You know, when he's completely in control of the genius. Murloc. Like, uh, Murloc, excuse me. Like yeah, yes. like Merlin and Warlock. Yes, 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 yes. Sorry, I was like scanning my notes and I didn't see the name written down right there. I wrote it down somewhere, just not the spot I'm putting. But yeah, they seem to think that going in the vault would protect them from the power of the wishes or something. Maybe it's like a Faraday cage. I don't know. That's that's another aspect of it. I the the more I read about DuckTales going into this for some research, I realized I might have to go and like start from issue number one because the whole backstory of DuckTales before the vault even exists, right? His his big money vault. Um, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, they join this quasi like Boy Scouts club. I can't remember. I've got it noted somewhere what the name of it was. Um, like the, the junior explorers club or something, but they actually clear out like a, a whole bunch of forest and logs in order to make room for that vault where it eventually goes up. So there's like this whole progression of events that happens. Oh, we just don't start with the full iconography. Actually, now you're saying that that sounds familiar. So I think I pro probably, you know, when I was eight, I probably did read it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it is weird how Again, I like I, I I'm kind of like feeling slightly um, sad that I didn't pick up on a, a little more as a kid, but it, it it did insinuate itself. So I, the more we talk about, it, the more I'm like, yeah, that rings a bell, I guess. So better. I mean, again, man, that's that's because it was on in the background. You weren't paying attention, so now it has a much longer sort of life in it. If someone mentions it, you won't even know where the memory comes from, but it's there. Right. But I did read the comic books, which is uh, more of an active ingestion. So the TV show is that way. And then, then there were some comics as well. I mean, I mostly read X-Men, but I, I did have some of those Gladstone Disney comics and read through some of those 
as well. Um, there is around if you went to get a haircut or something or like at the dentist, they're guaranteed there's going to be like a DuckTales comic somewhere, in like a highlights <laughs> magazine. Um, so th- anyway, that's what kind of that was a big thing watching it last night that kind of pulled out like the vault seems like, yeah, just sort of why, why is his vault the only safe place? You know, wizards could probably rob it, but it kind of seems like maybe, maybe they can't. And then reality shifts on him, right? So the vault's still there, but now it's, it's, that okay that's that's we should talk about the reality shift which of course is uh narratively through a wish but where everything becomes you know murlocs not not murloc the beer not the beers what is the name of the uh the 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 weasel because that he's the one that makes the wish that gets him the scrooge's fortune and everything right uh yeah 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 i, I actually don't remember his name the little arab dude yeah i think i just Start kept writing down the weasel. So um let's let's get his name properly here. Which has as... some connotations to it as well from the perspective of this movie of like the white rich ducks flying over <laughs> to this, you know, to another country in the Middle East where there's a bunch of like Arabian weasel people <laughs> and like stealing their stuff, but somehow they're still the villainized ones throughout this. It's 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 interesting. His name is Dijon, like the mustard. Because everything changes from a, a S with money signs to to a D, right? So, and he's just, not even a duck. Yeah, I'm just he's trying to work. Easy. Right, right. I'm just trying to work out. You know, Dijon, like the area of France, like the mustard. I, I don't know. I or maybe they saw it sounded like a cool thief name. You know, <laughs> whoever named Webby was like Dijon, and everyone was like, God, this guy. <laughs> This guy Duck- and his names. Duckworth is a fantastic name, just going down the list here. But he's yeah. he's actually not a duck either. He's a dog. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, he's worth it for the ducks, right? I guess that's what they're getting at. So <laughs> <laughs> uh did you have any takeaways you wanted to, to run off with here? Yeah, man. I've I've got a couple. I assume so. so. The, the first <laughs> so, so here's the first one. We already talked about is Scrooge after real gold or after like a philosophical gold um so you can make your own determination on that and it it changes the context of some of the stuff that he's doing um but but consider this all right they find a genie's lamp but they're already the richest people in the world right like already on top have anything you could possibly want they've got but still huey dewey and louie and webby and scrooge all are obsessed with getting wishes like they want wishes like what do you have to wish for right he just wishes for more gold and more riches it's it was really weird and then the kids are just wishing for things that they could easily obtain as well you know like the world's biggest sunday you tell me that scrooge didn't have enough money to you know like i don't know like that part of it is just so surreal that the richest people on the the planet or you know in this universe have wishes like what do you wish for like what's what's next and then he, he even says at the beginning you can't wish for world peace because that's a miracle that's not a wish yeah Which, that was a weird line i'm like i don't know i could still your wish can it <laughs> i well you know what is because it lets them off the hook so it's like you guys can go all out here you can be really selfish don't think about these wishes for anyone else because that would be a miracle i'm not really sure what the connotation was there i have i mean writing wise it sets up some boundaries so they can't just all be 
you know, outdoing each other with benevolence because then the cartoon ends and it's like, you know, the the world, the you know, the world has peace, but involved with the world getting peace would probably be Scrooge returning any sort of artifacts he's stolen from elsewhere in the world, right? Because that would cause tension, like as long as that were the case. So I don't know. And then the other one too, which it's really hard to overlook is that Webby wishes that all of her toys come to life which is another recurring theme that we've seen in the last couple of Disney movies. And it'll get even bigger in toy story again. And it's like this idea that the, the items that you own, these inanimate objects can come to life and they do have a soul. And then to, to put a little feather in that cap, you know, a little duck feather um, when they, I think it was one of them, I think it was Louie, but he says, I wish everything was back to the way it was, or, you know, I, I like undo all the wishes which a is just kind of like the most lazy genie trope ever. Like that's just always how every big genie episode ends. It's like, I wish that no one ever made wishes, right? I wish we never found this thing. But when he does that, all of those animals lose their life. And I was just, I was wondering at that point, obviously it doesn't get answered in the movie, but were they actually alive at any point? And does that mean that they then killed all of them? Like they, Hey, stuffed animal, I'm going to give you a glimpse of what consciousness looks like for about 30 seconds. I'm going to rip it back away from you. That just felt kind of wrong, but it also might have just been like they were suspended and animated and looked alive. However, they also were like attacking the genie. So it's not like he was in control of it, which makes me feel like they were alive. Yeah, I mean, it is it is one is like. When you start asking that many questions, like, hey, this is a little more disturbing. I was just listening to some people talking about Return of the Jedi, and they're like, wait a minute. If in Jabba's palace, the droid can be tortured, does that mean, like, all of this, like, heavy droid damage in the other movies means you're feeling extreme pain? <laughs> and like, what is pain other than letting you know that there's a sensor that says, hey, like, your arm is, is burning right now. You might want to move your arm. So... In that case, yeah, of course a joy can sense pain. But, like, does their translation of pain equal torture? Like, it, it might still be physical pain, you know? I know it's it's a weird it's a weird aspect to get into, and it just makes me think of Animatrix when, you know, the, the, mach- like the, the vacuum cleaner strikes back at its owner and the courts rule that the vacuum cleaner has rights, and then it just all goes downhill from there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you have one shot in the movie, like the toy is just suddenly not having life or the droid suddenly, oh, we can torture him. And it's like, well, it just made a cool shot in the movie, didn't it? But yeah, you start thinking about it. Where That is the thing, like the people making it, I mean, maybe they're not consciously thinking about it, but they're probably subconsciously thinking about it a bit. Of course, we get on podcasts and talk about it for far longer and they probably thought about it, so... <laughs> Maybe, although, man, again, that that hand-drawn animation, someone was sitting there and and drawing that for days, if not weeks, for some of those scenes. True. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's more thought over at this time than than now. Um, And and you can even, like, even if it's they don't have, like, actual life, then that would turn all those toys into homunculi. And one of the rules of a homunculi is that you have to kill it after a certain amount of time. Otherwise, it can turn into a monster. Or it can, you know, it's like the golem that goes crazy and just destroys the city. So that's another aspect that I'm interested in, is what if they had never taken the life from those toys away again? 
do they just like turn into monsters? Does Toy Story eventually turn into a Remains. horror movie? I guess it will, right? <laughs> Once the copyright is up, Toy Story does become a horror movie. So in that case, <laughs> these, these virtual Disney homunculi that really exist in the Disney universe are also going to become monsters once they live too long. I, I I guess yeah, I was just thinking that's kind of how Gremlins plays out, right? Kid gets his toy, it has life, it makes more life, and then the life turns into a bunch of monsters. So uh, I may, maybe there's a, a movie to put the lens on at some point. Well, there's a there's a Gremlins and Prometheus sync because Prometheus is that they've got the original you know DNA or substance that God uses to create all the life on Earth. But then once people get advanced enough, they try to make their own version of that and it just turns horrible. And that's kind of the story of Gremlins too, right? You get the Mogwai and the Mogwai is all natural, but the a human can force the Mogwai to reproduce by putting water and feeding it. And then that will turn into these little monsters. So yeah, it's it's always when like a human tries to recreate something that a human has no potential in creating. Well, I would... Uh, I just by coincidence i was watching the sequel last night right here so <laughs> yeah like covenant where you know david is that's in, in prometheus the android david is kind of like you can't quite tell where his loyalties lie whereas covenant starts out with a direct scene with him and guy pierce you know his creator right and then he basically becomes the villain of the movie so kind of kind of i mean we, kind of. we could go on a tangent on prometheus but he, he clearly <laughs> well, about covenant covenant he becomes like pretty much the straight up villain yeah prometheus okay right very right. no prometheus he's very gray area which is like fantastic and prometheus it's almost like oh i wonder what would happen if this happened which is kind of his job like his role is to do like things that humans can't do and that includes impregnating humans with alien spawn no, because uh, Covenant has Water, also played by Michael Fassbender, who's more like, kind of like how in those aliens, a bishop is a more altruistic robot, right? Um, so he comes to face with David, who has basically been like, I okay, now that I know I can do some of this, I'm going to create the perfect life, which is the, the xenomorph, right? So, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's far from a perfect film, but uh, watching it, after a few years i'm like this is actually better than i remembered it being so uh, prometheus does that for people too we'll, so. we'll do that on the occult paranormal podcast or whatever yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah. That one is. yeah where, wherever that goes uh it's yeah we're definitely looking at cuter things than xenomorphs with uh the the toys that maybe it's for the best they were put down i guess is what we're saying so you, we don't have to uh, feel too despondent about that scene where they all die <laughs> I got a, a couple other notes here too. Just like the apparently the Bavarian Illuminati and the Freemasons exist in Ducktales, and I'm not just making up that latter one. If you watch when they go to the Explorers Club and you freeze frame it on the very end of that scene, panning over to the right, there's two things you'll notice. One is that there's a really short duck, like hugging, uh, like a voluptuous duck's legs. It it looks weird. It it looks non-consensual. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> But in the far right corner, there's a duck with a or like one of those dog creatures with a Shriner's cap on. So he's either Moorish or he's, you know, a Shriner of some kind, which would fit directly into this Explorers Club motif. That was sort of an extension of that. So that that was one aspect of it. And then also the Tea Party existed because 
when Webby asked the genie if he wants to be in a tea party, he's like, can I be the one that dresses up like an Indian and throws the tea off the side of the boat? And she's like, oh, no, silly. That's the Boston Tea Party. So clearly there's like a duck version of the Boston Tea Party that also took place in this universe. And that that DuckTales Boston Tea Party also involved a secret society that dressed up as Indians and got on board. And I don't know, it's just it's wild to me that like in that microcosm of DuckTales, they have the same struggle with like the, this British aristocracy, which kind of Scrooge McDuck ultimately reflects again. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I had a thought and then it just like slipped my mind as happens sometimes. Um, <laughs> I got I, well, I got if, one final one for you. I was oh I I got it. I was wondering if if De Beers is also a real thing in in the Duck World because Scrooge seems to suggest that he's could be the next De Beers after. You know, well, and I mean, it would definitely be in Scrooge's best interest to artificially inflate the price and rarity of all of these things, right? And and that also, go ahead. I was just thinking, he's like so obsessed with that relatively tiny bit of wealth that they stole, right? He's staring at that, and you know, right in the next room is his giant vault. So, like you're saying, maybe there's some knowledge there. I don't know because he's not looking for the lamp at all. He's looking for something else which yeah and i i think he probably is looking for knowledge here uh because that's the only thing that makes sense for for those reasons but also because of the the way that he like shares it with his close family and he and he swims in it constantly um which is it's almost like he just revels in all of this knowledge that he's gaining from all over the place which doesn't make him any better because because i wanted to say my my last interpretation of this movie if take a step back all right look at look at the main plot points that happen he goes to the middle east he destroys things before he even lands on the ground he completely destroys ancient artifacts and architecture was that intentional is he trying to you know bury ancient you know uh, cultures let's let's keep going is, is that what the british sometimes does let's keep going so once he actually gets there they find this treasure and he brings this treasure back home you know out of the country but presumably to Duckburg, which I'm going to assume is in America, but it could be anywhere. So they bring it back to America. And then the guy that, that is from that country, right? Uh, Murloc, they paint him as the bad guy, but really he just wants that gold to go back into the place where it started from. And if anything, he understands the true history of everything. He understands that the lamp has a genie in it. So he actually understands magic at a much deeper level. So he goes, gets it all back, um, sort of, you know, through a um, uh, Rube Goldberg-esque series of events where first his underling gets it, who was also kind of double-crossing Scrooge McDuck in a way. Um, this is the the little weasel, uh, Arabian weasel dude, right? So he takes it all back, which is sort of rightful, but he's doing it in America. And then what does Scrooge do? He calls in the U.S. military. Now, in this case, it's it's uh, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, but the entire time, he's dressed up as like a Scottish general, and Huey, Dewey, and Louie are dressed up like GIs, American GIs. They've got the camouflage, the helmets, everything. So in, in my mind, this is America, uh, American explorers, um, pr pretty much like, you know, academics, university professors, fly over to the Middle East, 
steal gold, come back to America, and then use the military to sort of reinforce their right to keep all of these spoils of war. And then at the very end, it's like, if he gives a little bit back, now he's the good guy again. And it, it really just feels like it's too, it hits so close to home. Like that's exactly what kind of happens is that Donald or uh, Scrooge sees himself as this like coveter of knowledge and then it's safe with him and it might not be safe with someone else, which is the same argument that the US and Britain has kind of used for the museums is like your country's out on rest people are storming you know your capital and and they could just like willy-nilly go into these museums and destroy everything hey look here's some people we radicalize that are destroying stuff there's the proof so because of that we're gonna have to just like keep all of your precious goods you know under lock and key just trust us it's it's way better for it to be with us and safe than with you and not safe so i mean and if you don't agree with us we'll send all military to kind of reconfirm the point Dude, I feel like now I'm pushing the needles slightly more towards towards Chernabog. I, I guess I'm thinking it's, I never said my number. He's he's a four or five for me, I guess. There's definitely some ambiguity there. Um, also, yeah, Scrooge is affecting these cultures and stuff. Uh, one, I, I love the theory on Indiana Jones, uh, ra- well, specifically Raiders of the Lost Ark, where it's like, well, if Indiana Jones had just stayed home, the outcome would have been the same. <laughs> The Nazis still would have found the Ark, opened it up, and had their faces melted off. It would have been the same result in the end. So he didn't really need to go anywhere. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I mean, if, if you want to play nitpicky, though, like him putting the pressure on meant that, like, he worked them up and maybe in an emotional state or m- maybe all of the chaos around the events in turn charged the Ark of the Covenant, which might be some kind of a battery that can refocus who knows right who the hell knows unless like your face also has to melt off before you know the truth about the ark of the covenant <laughs> that, that's a great catch line okay much better when i was writing i was just trying since they were talking so much about wishes and magic and this i was trying to um write a, a good good copy for like a modern disney brochure like wishes make magic through dreams and stories <laughs> I just, yeah, I love how the the uh, boilerplate Disney stuff has been getting so weirdly generic recently. <laughs> Which probably probably having them like, you know, AI, please write our slogan for us or something, you know, and that's what pops out. <laughs> no, I actual. mean, if if anyone's can do it, I think if once Disney does a fully AI or somewhat AI produced thing, that makes it more mainstream, and then everyone's like, well, if they're doing it, we better get on the ball. I, I'm already wondering how many movies I've seen where like maybe some I, I really came out Guardians of the Galaxy 3 feeling like I'd writ, watched a movie at least partially written by AI. So uh, I guess I also didn't like it as much as everybody else seems to. But yeah, <laughs> something about well, the, one of the latest TV boss. shows, right? Like the the Doctor Strange show or something. Like the oh, whole Secret intro Invasion. Was... Yeah. What a, a Secret, Secret invasion, invasion. Right. That one used all stable diffusion for for its intro. Okay, so yeah, I guess it's it's already on the way. So, and something like that, you know, I I know, I don't know if it's the same in the states, but there's already been like city offices which are like, ah, eh, Chat GPT, Chat GPT is going to answer you know basic inquiries now. It'll save our workers five minutes a day. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> I mean, honestly, man, like for the, the type of places you'd call and you just hear them shuffling through like a printed set of pages or like scrolling through canned answers 
why not just have AI say that? I mean, it would save everybody time. Well, I know in Japan, it's quickly going to turn into the AI gives you a number to call another AI, and you call that AI, AI and it'll bump you to a different AI. So, um. <laughs> well, so, so I mean, he, here's like, a, I wonder if, if Scrooge McDuck could exist in a, like a Bitcoin cryptocurrency world. But the way that I think that this ends, there's there's been jokes about it. South Park had some jokes. And I mean, you, you're probably, it's like almost a dad joke now, but it's, one side of this equation is do using AI and then taking the output of that and then giving it out to the world. So that the rest of the world at a certain point is going to start using AI to consume that information and then boil it back down to you. So each of us are going to have like an actual digital assistant, not like a Palm pilot, but like a little thing that kind of knows your quirks and your preferences and your vernacular. And whenever something comes at you, a, you know, a job interview, a coupon, a, an, a, you know, an invitation to a podcast, like your little digital assistant is going to read it and decipher it, interpret it for you. And then like you can just give it the yes or no or, or ask it if you want some more information. But it's kind of it's going to end up being like that more than anything uh, sooner than later. Well, the, the catch is you're kind of like, oh, it's my digital assistant, but I think it's going to be the system's digital assistant for you, right? Right. Uh, I mean, think <laughs> yeah. about how your phones are listening to you. Um, recently, I was showing my daughter a little bit how to play guitar, right? And um, Sunday night, she's like, hey, what's a capo, you know? Next morning, I have like three ads from Amazon, like, buy a guitar capo. One, I have two. I don't need another one, but I'm like... It must have like occurred that. Why would I just randomly get ads for capos after my daughter asks about one the previous night? You know. <laughs> yep. So that that was my recent creepy experience about that. Where something it's like you know something for back pain. The next day you got back pain. It's like, well, did that psychosomatically like, give me the back pain? Did, did the algorithm some somehow predict that I was going to have back pain? Maybe maybe it saw oh you walked twenty miles yesterday, so it just kind of surmises that. I I don't know. <laughs> that I mean that's only in like human logic thinking, but that's because we can only conjure up like a few hundred scenarios, whereas AI can conjure up you know, 13 billion scenarios at any given moment to explain things. So it might just be like you walked by a red car three times and then a bird made a noise. And because of that, statistically, you're going to get a, you know, back pain the next day. And it might have have absolutely nothing to do with anything that you might uh, have analyzed. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that's where because I mean, I don't think you're trying to make it sound great, but oh yeah, we'll all have digital assistants. And I'm like, well, I think it's more like we'll have like digital handlers. <laughs> Maybe, but then that's when like, you know, the, uh, like the, the shadow run cyber decks come out where people just like hack their own and they get like a bio arm. And now all of the software is running like on their own neural network inside their body. Yeah. Yeah. Being you know, That's the better. Yeah. That's the good version. <laughs> right. That's those are the guys that are fighting back or the ones that are fully uh, transhuman. I'm off the grid. I've got a closed system. But hey, you can still hack a closed system. You know, I mean, it's harder, but it can be done, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't know much about the, the neural world of cyber arms yet. So we'll maybe get to that before too long. <laughs> uh, well, AI is coming up eventually, right? Yeah, yeah. Are are you on? I want I want robot arms team, or I don't want robot arm team. Which team are you on? Uh, I don't. I unfortunately, I think I might be a little born a little too late to see it through all of its initial quirks. Like I'm, 
Oh man, this is this is dicey area just because <laughs> of the of the crowd I run with. But I don't want to say I'm anti Neuralink or anti bionic arms. If anything, that feels like the next true evolution. I mean, if if you use a phone or an air conditioner, you're kind of a hypocrite because you've already like, dude, a phone for sure is the closest thing to a neural extension, like a transhumanist neural extension that we can kind of get until you start jacking it into your actual arm or your brain. But, you know, the just the way that it becomes second nature to scroll or grab something or, you know, I don't know, back when, you know, you had like a, a, a BlackBerry or you had the old Nokia brick, right? The way that some people could like dial a number and text and do it all without even taking out of their pocket just because of like the tactile and like knowing where everything was. Like these are extensions at just as much as your arm is an extension. Uh, like like Rene Descartes, I'm going on a little tangent here, but Rene Descartes made this great analogy. And when he was trying to determine where the soul lived, he said it lived in the pineal gland because it, it was basically like the epicenter of the body. And the reason why the soul couldn't possibly live in your arms or your legs or any of your extremities was because if someone lost their arm, they still had that like phantom, you know, arm experience. But if you chopped off both of someone's arms and both of their legs and they're just like a torso with a head, they still have the same exact amount of soul, you know, quote unquote, than they would have without the arms and legs. So therefore, the soul can't actually live in these extremities. And then he said that an arm is basically if you take a blind man and you give him a stick and he can use that stick to like tap on the ground and it almost like turns into his arm it, it is truly an extension because him tapping on the ground he can feel whether it's you know soft or wet or hard or like gravel or grass and it becomes just as functional as an arm might be it can't feel like heat or anything but it can still convey those vibrations and even to the point where a blind man with that cane can use that cane as intrinsically as you might use your arm so anyway like a long way to say that it's not like your your actual meat arm is somehow more human than like a bionic arm might be so and that's why i'm going to be having a bionic arm next time you see me i'm just trying to hype it up so that you can't <laughs> criticize me next time right on no i i am sitting here now thinking uh just to get back to the movie a little bit uh we we didn't talk too much directly about the talisman which i guess is kind of murloc's extension it or was kind of it was kind of cool stone yeah. And well, also the, he's the only guy that basically gets to wish for more wishes. So that's impressive. Well, yeah. So that, so that was like such a cool twist is that uh, Murloc's whole thing is that he's has a talisman that fits perfectly on top of the lamp. And that somehow it's like a hack, right? He like overclocks the lamp and he can get infinite wishes from it. But uh, they don't necessarily explain like, how did he lose that power? Like, if you can if you can wish for infinite wishes what happened there bud like it, it feels like you might not be very good at, at being uh you know like a wizard warlock dude if you've been granted infinite wishes and then somehow you lose it he does die so mistakes were made and he dies at the end yeah <laughs> there were definitely a few mistakes and then the weird thing of um just to get the kind of like now the genie's a real boy, which was kind of bizarre, especially from the company that did, uh, made the, the film 
famous film version of Pinocchio. Let's not say they made Pinocchio. They did not. Um, <laughs> he also wasn't like a boy. He was like a man, right? Yeah, he's a genie. Was, like, like they're kind Rip of Taylor. <laughs> it's Rip Taylor doing like Robin Williams light at the start, right? Yeah, like he's trying uh, yeah, to make cultural yeah, references, all that stuff. When he says a real boy, th- that was very weird. It was like, at what point did they imply that this was a boy? He's thousands of years old. Also, he's a duck. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I. That was a weird ending. I guess they were just like, what are we going to do with this genie? And well, I, maybe Aladdin had a better, uh, well, at least in that movie ending for the genie. I don't know. Uh, this one, weird. <laughs> I guess it makes sense to a six-year-old is is the, the main thing, right? Well, what happens to a genie? Oh, that happens to a genie. Good enough. <laughs> that, and it's also just self-referential within Disney. So it, it just creates this nice little like infinite Ouroboros loop between DuckTales and Pinocchio, right? Like what when you've got these two properties that reference uh, one or the other, it's, you know, it's like now there's a little earwig in your head that after DuckTales is over, it's like, why do I want to watch Pinocchio all of a sudden? <laughs> the, the 2023 quote unquote live action Pinocchio. That's right. Um, <laughs> 2022, excuse me, years quit making sense haven't they um <laughs> did you get all so bad. You, did you get all your notes out? What, one last tangent and that was just because someone said the jig is up and i know i've heard this so many different times and i i had to just look at the etymology of this statement the jig is up it's not and the long story short over. do you know what it is i assumed it was the dance is over so kind of so it so it started out as a dance but the dance was seen as like a silly dance um which and and the jig is it's kind of like river river dance a little bit right um so the so this is in the 1500s they come up with this thing called the jig dance and that being not taken seriously it turns into a slang term for like a prank or just like doing something silly is a jig and then the jig is up is like someone caught you trying to do a prank or trying to do something silly. Um, so the jig is up is like, you know, the joke is ruined. The whole the whole thing is over. And that's what it means. It really does come from the original version of it. That's not the interesting part. The interesting part was that another phrase that was slang in, uh, I guess, Elizabethan was the word nothing. And they mentioned the Shakespearean play Much Ado About Nothing. And maybe this is this is old news for a lot of people. Have you ever heard what nothing represented as a slang term? Mm, no, I have not. So it, it represented uh, female genitalia. So oh, the, okay. the play Much Ado About Nothing is literally <laughs> about, you know, not nothing. And because there was a saying that women have nothing between their legs. And then that turned into like a slang of, oh, well. What are you what are you looking for? Nothing. <laughs> so it turned into like a very anyways, it was it was crazy how I started on DuckTales and then a jig is up and then I I discovered that one. So that one's going in the memory banks. Yeah. No, I was just thinking uh, I I play the cello and all of Bach's cello suites end with a jig, but it's spelled spelled G-I-G-U-E, you know. I guess it's a Germanic thing, but there's another place where they end with with jigs, right? Um and oh yeah, the 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 other weird Jenna Taylor reference, which I guess is another one that maybe people know, is um, uh, have you heard about the theory of why Hearst was really pissed off about Citizen Kane? No, <laughs> because co-writer, not Orson Welles, but co-writer Herman Mankiewicz, 
was aware that um, uh, Hearst's nickname for his mistress, Marion Davies' genitalia, was Rosebud. <laughs> oh, so it was just like a very deep cut directly at, at Hearst? Yeah, by Mankiewicz, who was a, uh, you know, like... Uh, notorious hollywood nutter so it, i could you could totally see this man doing that and hearst getting <laughs> in that case i actually I, I can see where hearst tried to bury that movie a little more you know because <laughs> it's always like why was he so anti that movie and it's like oh if, if that's true that makes a lot of sense right <laughs> it's a fun conspiracy theory yeah I, I, I do like that one so um I guess we'll wrap it up if you're I'm at the end of uh, interesting notes I I had to read if they were interesting at all I don't know but <laughs> yeah no th- I mean my main takeaway here was was the obvious overlay of like sending the US military in to you know keep your your pillagings but also that Scrooge McDuck might be a metaphorical thing because of this movie originally starting with the philosopher's stone because if he's really looking for the philosopher's stone then maybe it was because he just wanted infinite gold but i also feel like that british aspect of like he's the one that needs to go and protect this knowledge and if he brings it back into his vault the vault being like his mind then that's where he it can be protected because once it's in the vault it can't be taken back out of the vault unless he falls to his death like he killed murloc yeah i mean yeah, you know, with material things, I, I teach kids, and sometimes it's like, "What would you do with a thousand dollars?" And uh, in Japan, most of the kids are like, "I save it in the bank." I'm like, "Well, it's just uh, actually, I say it's a stack. It's just going to be a stack of paper, then, which actually, it's not even going to be that, is it?" But I'm like, "Yeah, you just have if you have money, you don't really have anything. You just have you know paper or coins or whatever, right?" So, um, if if that's the end of Scrooge McDuck's uh, greed, you know, greed for knowledge is. A more fascinating thing for sure, which might be one of the reasons people always uh, we, we want to tie in ducktails with with that sort of thing, you know, make it Illuminati confirmed and uh, throw in a few images to to subconsciously get in that with, you know, cartoon episodes or whatever. So, oh, you can buy some pretty old and exclusive books for that knowledge if you're super duper rich. So it might be <laughs> both. All right. Promotion code. No. OK. <laughs> Paranoid 15, right? wherever you go, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Next time you go to the grocery store, just try putting in Paranoid 15. Um, well, I guess I'll ask what's up in your world at the moment. The... Uh, well, we just released the homunculus owner's manual. Uh, so that's, you can get that at paranoidamerican.com. And I also just did an interview on tinfoil hat with Sam Tripoli, where he announced the chaos twins, which is a new comic book that, I've been working on with him for a little while. So that's a big deal. And then also just last night or this week, nasacomic.com finally hit 100 subscribers. So I'll be launching the Stanley Kubrick Never a Straight Answer comic series. So uh, you can go to nasacomic.com to either go right to the Kickstarter. Also sign up to, you know, subscribe, get notifications. Or if you're listening to this in a year from now, I'll probably have NASA comic redirect to wherever you can buy it. So either way, N-A-S-A-C-O-M-I-C.com, Paranoid American, never a straight answer. That's that's the latest big one to check out. Okay. I, I think I'll actually switch up my plug today. And I, I just put, in the past few weeks, I put out some music 
That's at rovingsagemedia.bandcamp.com. I, I put out a series of uh, binaural stuff to reprogram your mind. Because you get, of course, this only works for me, but you get on YouTube, you're like, hey, what are the intentions of this? But I'm like, hey, if I make it myself, I know what the intentions were, right? So if you want to trust my intentions, there's some binaural collections there. And if you just want to hear some rock and roll, I just put out an album of that called Liminal Spaces with uh, trippy lyrics from my Australian shaman friend. I don't know. He's maybe he's probably not really a shaman, but he'd like me to call him one. So I will. <laughs> he's got the good stuff. That's what that means. There we go. Um, actually, just a very short tangent. I, are you familiar with the liminal spaces concept? I know what a liminal space is, but I'm not sure what, what you mean by concept. This is, uh, there's a, I was just watching, reading up a few articles, looking at YouTube, the idea that these abandoned spaces or spaces not being used for their intended purpose, like subconsciously, like cause like a weird reaction. So if you see like a, um, an indoor children's playground where it's dark and there's nobody there, it kind of it makes you feel weird right so that yes um when doing backgrounds for like animations and stuff like uh aqua teen hunger force that's a good example a lot of their backgrounds are what i would consider like a liminal space um where it's like you know it's a abandoned looking living room with a meatball in it or it's like out in you know in some like random backyard there's there's also i don't think this is part of definition but liminal spaces also tend to have these like perspectives that could go on like for infinity like they're usually somewhat parallel with like the horizon the way that they're drawn right anyway i thought it was a cool name for an album so i made an album <laughs> <laughs> okay uh for people keeping up next one i guess is going to be the rescuers down under speaking of our australian friends so good day mate yeah <laughs> <laughs> 